Can you think of a time in the Bible that says that Jesus sang? In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord. And we Christians believe that Jesus is Lord. That's kind of the whole point, right? And it says, The Lord will rejoice over you with singing. Will. Future. So, if we read that verse in context, we find he's going to rejoice over his people with singing on the day that he saves them. On the day he saves us by taking away our punishment. Hmm. When the Lord is living among his people, the mighty one who will save will rejoice over his people with singing. So when did Jesus sing? The Lord who dwelt among us saves his people and takes away our punishment. When did he sing? In Matthew 26, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This was right after the Last Supper when he instituted Holy Communion. And then Mark's gospel, it tells us the same thing, sang a hymn. And most people, they think he probably sang the Passover hymn, which is traditionally Psalm 118, which has some lines that are pretty remarkable in light of what Jesus is about to suffer and in light of Gethsemane. Some of the lines are these, listen, out of my distress I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper, and I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It also says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. But there's another time that the Bible records Jesus referencing a song, although it's only the first line. And you know how when you say the first line of a well-known song, it brings to mind the rest of the song? Like if I said, joy to the world, the Lord has come, then I've evoked the rest of the lyrics without saying them. Let earth receive her king, and so on. If I say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, then you know I'm implying that saved a wretch like me, and lost, and found, and blind, and see. You get it all from the first line. And Jesus said the first line of a psalm when he was hanging on the cross. He may have even tried to gather enough breath to sing it. It's a song from the perspective of an extremely anguished and suffering servant of God. A person who's feeling falsely accused. A person who's surrounded by mocking people. 
people who seem to be acting like wild animals. And the psalm, it's written in the first person. It's a prayer. The man who's being tortured is crying out to God. And it's painful to listen to. But it's a song of hope. It's not a song of despair. So when Jesus cries out or sings or whispers the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's actually saying the first line of Psalm 22. And by saying the first line, he's evoking the rest of the psalm for anyone who knows all the lyrics. And he's inviting the rest of us to look them up. So we catch a glimpse of what Jesus was going through on the cross. The psalm, it describes the crucifixion from the perspective of the one being crucified. And God the Father, who had cared for Jesus his entire life, seems in this moment to have abandoned him in his darkest hour. And people have surrounded him like angry bulls, taunting him, goring him, threatening him, like a pack of wild dogs, like a roaring lion opening its jaws to devour him, which should remind us of Satan who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There's a bunch of things in this psalm that are mentioned in the Gospels, things that happened during the crucifixion, like the soldiers dividing his garments and gambling for his clothes, the spectators mocking him, wagging their heads. And they say, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. And even though the psalm opens up with a cry, with a feeling of being forsaken, it closes with confidence that God is going to hear this prayer and that he'll be vindicated and that God will be praised and worshipped for his salvation. Not the salvation of the suffering servant, but the salvation that will be for the people of the whole earth from every nation. Talks about how they'll eat together, how they'll celebrate the victory of what's being accomplished. That God's deliverance will never be forgotten. That it's going to be retold to the coming generations. His righteousness will be proclaimed to a people yet unborn. And he's talking about us, guys. We are going to hear about the Lord who is mighty to save. We'll hear, we'll hear about that day when Jesus laid down his life for us. There is no greater love. Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before the day that on about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's listen to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Basham surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. 
even the ones who could not keep himself alive. Prosperity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has found. By this time, it is about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Jesus showed us how to live. He asked us to love one another, to love your enemy, to serve one another, that the first would be last, that the last would be first. That if your enemy would slap you in the face, that you should turn the other cheek. He showed us how to live. But he also shows us how to die. How to face death with trust. Trust that no matter what the Lord is doing, no matter what his Father is doing, he will make it good. Do we trust God with our death? Do we fear death and doubt the promises that Jesus has made? So Jesus quotes another psalm as his last words. Psalm 31 says this, O Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. You are my rock and my fortress. For the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemies set for me, for I find protection in you alone. I entrust my spirit into your hands. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. This was just part of the witness that Jesus gave as he hung on the cross. These were his last words. I entrust my spirit to you. During the same time, there was darkness. For three hours, darkness. And then there was an earthquake that split the curtain. And it, were, it was these things that turned a man who was a leader of men from ambivalence to faith. A few years before this, Jesus had an encounter with a lady from Samaria. She kind of had a messed up life as we all kind of have a messed up life. She just happened to be public more or more public about her messed up life. And Jesus encountered her and began to talk with her. He didn't ignore her. He decided to have a conversation. And he said this. John records it in chapter 4. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus said that the time was coming and that it was here now, 
and it was displayed in this man who saw Jesus die on the cross as he said these words, Father, I entrust my spirit to you. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. It's interesting that he worshiped. It's kind of unlikely kind of fellow to worship. He was a Roman soldier, not only a Roman soldier, but he was a centurion. He was the ruler of soldiers. He was the leader of men. He's the one who told everyone what to do, where to stand, what to do, how to react, what to say or not say. He was a man above all other men. At that execution, he was in charge. But that same man that was in charge dropped, at least the way I imagine it, to his knees. And he worshiped a man who had just died. Did he know all the scriptures? Did he know who Jesus really even was? Probably not. Did he know or feel that his life was worthy enough to worship a man like this? Probably not. But in this moment, he's the, actually the first one to worship the crucified Christ. A centurion, a Roman. He put everything behind him and dropped to his knees and worshiped. He put being an officer behind him, a soldier, a Roman, a centurion, and he worshiped. What are the things we need to put behind us so that tonight we can humble ourselves and bend down and worship? And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. When you have doubt, you lack a certain conviction about what you're going to do. There were some in the crowd that went that night or that afternoon to see this crucifixion. And maybe they had a little bit of doubt about who this man was that they're crucifying. Maybe some of those in the crowd actually did believe that maybe he was the Messiah. But as they watched him die and as they heard, I entrust my spirit to you and he breathed no more, some doubt entered their mind because the Messiah shouldn't be able to die. He was supposed to usher in a new kingdom with him being the ruler. And now it's all over. So doubt began to grow even more. Some of those in the crowd went with the emotion of the day and they thought they loved Jesus until the crowd rose up against them and they too joined in. Free Barabbas killed Jesus. 
And as they saw him go through pain and as they saw it go dark and when the earth shook, they began to doubt. Maybe we killed the wrong man. And the crowd went home. What the word actually means is beating their breasts. Some would doubt that the Messiah wasn't powerful enough. And others would doubt that maybe he was. And we just killed him. Or perhaps they were just disappointed. That all the things that they had planned for that afternoon didn't quite fulfill them the way they thought it would. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Tonight, I believe Jesus is inviting us to do more than just watch. He's inviting us to draw in a little closer. I believe he invites us, particularly tonight, to trust him. No matter what you are facing, even if it is death itself, he shows us in death we can trust the one who created life, sustains life, and ensures that we will have life. Jesus is inviting us to trust our Father, who knows our hearts because he formed them in the womb. He knows everything that you're facing tonight and everything you'll face tomorrow. He knows what doubts you came in with tonight. He knows what anxieties you had with your family. He knows what pain you have right now. He knows the secrets that no one else knows that blacken your heart and keep you from moving forward. But tonight, he invites you, and he invites me. Trust me. Entrust your spirit to me. I believe he also invites us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And just like the Roman officer, are we able to put all those things that we brought in tonight behind us? And kneel down and worship him. Can we put our pride behind us? Can we stop looking in the mirror and seeing something that's ugly? Can we walk forward and worship him in spirit and in truth? Tonight, he invites us to believe. It's so simple and yet so hard. Tonight, as we reflect on his crucifixion, may we be open to hear that invitation to believe in the one who died for us. To believe that his death and his resurrection really is a full payment so that we may have life to believe that in this death we get life.
to believe that our Father in heaven loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would have life and life to the fullest. Amen.